the different species we see. I mean, we see, you know, you, you sit downstairs for a half hour, you're going to see, you know, 15 different species come mm. through the door. Crazy. Um, and that is, and every one of them probably has something different going on because the majority of vets from what I've seen, um, what heard of were, were not treating because the prognosis is pretty poor. Right. And we've, have some techniques and treatment protocols now that we've developed little by little over the last kind of you know 10 years that are working really well in many cases um, we were adamant we'll do it today did it everything went fine no problem but emotional emotionally that was a tough day for me yeah. i was like you know i i one i don't want anything to happen mm. ever mm. but on a day where he's already had a, a pretty i'll call that a pretty crappy day Welcome to Working With Wildlife, where I, your host, Jaden Luntz, speak to experts and enthusiasts in different fields of nature to find out how you might be able to work with wildlife by listening to their story. My guest today owns and runs a respected exotics veterinary clinic and whose qualifications include a Bachelor of Science in Biochemistry and a Master's of Clinical Medicine and Surgery. His hope is to make a positive impact in his field. Please welcome to the show, Josh Linus. Thanks, Josh, for coming onto the podcast, man. Thanks, this is That's... really cool. Uh, it's uh, cool to um, speak to you a bit more than just meeting you over the counter or over a snake. Uh, but for the people that don't know you, could you give a, a bit of an introduction to who you are uh, as sure. Josh Linus? Uh, yeah, I guess um, my story is, is pretty simple. Um, I basically decided wanted to be a vet from very young in life um, um, from the States originally. Um, yeah. So I had a lot of exposure to a lot of different uh, reptiles in particular. Um, I started working in vet clinics when I was really quite young, about 12 years old. So that was a good introduction for me to realize, do I want to be in this profession or do I want to go down a different, different mm. road? And I guess my big story started when I um, had decided very early on still that I wanted to actually be a reptile vet. Uh, so that was kind of... Yeah, a, I was a, really young too. It was. I was I was probably about 12 years old. Mm. Um, my mom said I, I wanted to be a vet when I was five. Yeah. Um, and then when I was about 12, I got my first iguana. It's a green iguana. Uh, worked in a pet store um, and uh, uh, basically just helping out. I was, uh, well, I guess, underage at that point. Yeah, so, so at 14, <clears throat> 12, you started working at a pet store. Yeah, yeah. Wow, so the I was, chances uh, of doing that these days is very no, low. No, couldn't happen. <laughs> so I used to sweep and mop and do those little bit of cash in hand sort of stuff yeah. uh, just because I got a little bit of a, an in there. Uh, and then when I was yeah, about 14 or 15, uh, I started working at the pet store and a vet clinic. And uh, yeah, that was pretty much my my introduction to, to, to the, the wildlife world, to the wildlife um, yeah and you are also um you started your your iguana uh, from what i've heard of you um you, your iguana got sick at a time um and you actually tried fixing fixing them up yeah yourself. i um lester my iguana That's his um, name, lester, yeah yep yeah. yeah, uh he was a uh, quite a large boy um you know about six foot by the time he was full grown yeah um and i think that he Due to some mistakes that I made, um, mm-hmm. he, he got on well, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and I brought him to the vet, and yeah. nobody had any clue what to right. do. Um, this was back in, oh goodness, it would have been the early early 90s, mm-hmm. uh, and so really very little was known yet reptile medicine-wise. Mm-hmm. A, um, a reptile textbook, medicine textbook, had just come out, um, right. and uh, that was gifted to me by my parents when I was, well, 12 or 13 years old. Yeah. And uh, I started reading through that and didn't understand half of what I was reading, mm. but 
I was able to ask questions at the vet clinic that probably um, the average person wasn't asking then yeah, right. uh, because the, the guru, um, Dr. Doug Mader, who wrote the book, that, that was kind of the Bible at the time and still is. Mm. Um, so um, up to the third rendition now. And so we've really pushed from, you know, a couple hundred page book of medicine to, you know, you know, thousands of pages now of, of really in-depth, high-level medicine on the reptile world. So we're, we've really moved a lot in that space of time, considering how medicine moves full stop. Yeah. It's actually pretty slow. Okay, right. Um, so I, I was... Is there any reason in particular that it moves um, slow? Yeah, I think that there's... Uh, well, that we can get into that in a little bit, but mm. I think the probably biggest reason why uh, medicine moves slower than it could is, is because there's a lot of... Um, Barriers in research, uh, it's very expensive. Um, there's, it's very time consuming. And um, you have researchers who do this and then you have clinicians like myself who are at the tail end of that. And by the time it comes through, it could be years old already. Um, takes years to publish a book. Yeah. So by the time you get a book out there, it could be you know, six, seven years old, probably a bit faster these days. Uh, papers might take a year or two to come out mm. and in that time things have changed as well so we do find that um, that you to stay up to date you need to be reading books you need to be reading papers you need to be going to conferences but also talking to your colleagues because sometimes they've had experiences that have not been published yet right and so yeah. um, especially in the reptile world um, it's a very small world we all pretty much know each other and we'll end up um, talking about cases and going oh I did it this way and it worked, and, and, you, I, you learned, and but yeah. it hasn't been published yet. So I think that's the slow bit on medicine is that that we don't share enough information quickly enough. Um, right. But there's you can see there's barriers to that. Okay, so a lot of barriers to it. Yeah. Uh, and so um, then with so it's twelve years old. You've you uh, you started out very young. Uh, yep. You got to work at twelve, uh, and yep. you really got to experience from uh, people in the industry, or at least related to wildlife, a lot sooner than. Mm-hmm. Well, nowadays, I mean, a lot, what a lot of kids can, unfortunately, uh, and there's, there's pros and cons to that, of course. Um, what's uh, jumping up ahead mm-hmm. uh, now a couple of years, which we'll, we'll, we'll fill in the gap later, um, we're, we're presently sitting uh, in your, your clinic. Uh, now, what um, this, uh, what's the name of uh, your, your clinic? Was there any other names other than what it's named now uh, that you thought of? Uh, business-wise? No, I guess um, currently where we are, so I'm a shameless plug, the Unusual Pet Vets, um, we're located in Jindalee, yeah. but there's a number of Unusual Pet Vets, and I guess the uh, across the country. Mm. And that was started by a colleague of mine uh, yeah. over in Western Australia. Right. And that was, um, I was previous to this uh, running a vet practice locally to here. Um, green, green. That was a Green Cross yeah. vet clinic. That was, I was there for about 10, 11 years. Uh, ran it for the majority of that. Mm. And that was my first experience running a practice and running a team. Um, and I think to me, that was a really good learning experience. Uh, and probably in the final five years of that, I ended up um, starting HerpVet, which was um, the reptile-only kind of section of that practice. Mm. And the powers that be there, well, we had a good chat and um, they were happy for me to run that. Yeah. And I just built up uh, the reptile component to that. Yeah, that's cool. Mostly with um, a lot of wildlife, a mm. lot of snake catchers, um, rescue groups and things like that. And that certainly allowed me to get a lot of experience uh, with the natives, native here. Because mm. um, while I was doing that, I was always keeping in mind that, that one, where we still know very little about a lot of these animals, to that 
a lot of the stuff's going to transpose into what I'm going to be doing for patients. Mm. And, um, you know, we learned a lot of stuff, you know, that was good and bad things that, that probably now I wouldn't do. Um, mm. and that's with all medicine. You look yeah. back and you go, I've learned from that. Yeah. I would do it differently this time. Um, always keeping in mind patient, uh, quality of life. And with wildlife, the big thing is, will it become a suitable candidate to release? Yes. Very, very different to a patient at the clinic yeah. where, it has to be able to uh, survive with quality of life, and but may require human intervention mm. ongoing. Mm. Uh, but that's okay yeah. uh, because that's that's as long as their quality of life is good, we don't we don't worry. With a with a wild um, Animal, reptile, yeah, reptile yeah. you've got to release it, and you're never going to see it again. Mm. And so you have to kind of look into the future and decide: is this something that's going to? And sometimes you get it right, sometimes you get it wrong. Mm. As you do more and more, you get it right more and more. Yeah, um, that comes with the experience. And, um, and that's, that's something that I've enjoyed about it. Um, but also look back and, and, and you, know, you know, I wish I had done better. Um, mm. So I, I think that's all we can ever do is try to do better Learn for the from next past one. experiences. Yeah. Um, but for me, transitioning from the U.S. to here, yeah. very different experience. New York. New York, yeah, yeah, New York yeah, yeah. City, yeah. Um, there you could have pretty much anything. Mm. Um, so I grew up with, I had iguanas, I had basilisk, I had a, I had a central bearded dragon, <laughs> I had rat snakes, king snakes, corn snakes, uh, I had a, reticula a reticulated python. Yeah, um, yeah. that's I, so cool, that's so cool. Uh, yeah, you know, you could, you could keep an alligator snapping turtle, you know, in your house if you wanted to in many states. So it's, I much prefer the way we do it over here, mm. which is okay. um, you're, you know, you're a steward of the wildlife, basically. So, mm -hmm. you know, you have a, a recreational wildlife permit. Mm -hmm. That's how you are having your, your the pet, pets. Yeah, pets snakes. Yeah. You're officially looking after them for the state or for the country. Right. I mean, that's kind of okay. a good way to look at it for yeah. me, is that we're, we are actually being allowed to look after animals, but there are pets in the meantime, yeah. uh, trying to give them the best quality of life. Now with, with the uh, exotics, uh, um, the, the exotic pet vet, mm. now uh, over um, in the States, it sounds a lot more exotic than what it does sound, mm. at least with basic licensing in Australia. Yep. Um, do you think, uh, wh why do you think that has been, um, or what do you know of the reason that Australia has been very, um, resistant or at least presently is very resistant yeah. to allowing exotics into the into um, local hands per se uh listen i think the the inability to monitor it closely is is probably the big one um i think that there's a lot of things that we could keep here that are probably wouldn't cause a problem but um it's very very hard to actually say that with a degree of confidence because mm -hmm. we don't know what diseases they have we actually don't know a lot of what reptiles carry full stop mm. so therefore how do we know if those reptiles are going to be so these are novel diseases brought in and cause a problem here especially when we're in a climate that most of australia if you release a reptile is going to live mm. quite well yeah. and so what are the chances of that becoming a problem right. i think that it's it's preemptively trying to prevent that from happening yeah, and I so think there's a lot of mitigation in place absolutely i think just because you can do it and probably the majority of people could do it safely um is going to be a proportion that cannot. And I think that that would lead to catastrophic things. And I think therefore it's worthwhile being strict about it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's that's really important. And I think that um, part of what I'm, you know, I do a lot of research at the same time, we're still trying to figure out what 
reptiles in Australia carry disease-wise. Mm. Are those diseases important? Are they contagious to other species, you know, whether it be fish, insects, mammals, birds? We don't know yep. a lot of these things. And we're starting to see diseases jump from one clad of animals to another. Mm. And then why would you want to play catch up on that? How about try to get some information from the beginning and, and, and then learn? Yeah, expansion. absolutely. Yeah. So I, I'm a big fan of that. Mm -hmm. But just like with research, I mean, that takes a long time. You're talking individual studies that might take you know decades and therefore um and then you might find out after that with new technologies that you were wrong so mm. we find that there's certain diseases we're finding out now that i talk to clients about on a regular basis that my opinion on them and changing my recommendations changes sometimes six monthly mm. with new information that comes out that's important. But yeah, that's the, that's the process. And again, because you, as you said, you, you guys are at the tail end of the information. So trying to personally read up on um, papers and not just mm -hmm. wait for everything to come through, but kind of trying to get ahead of trying to get ahead in your own research, as you said. And even if you've read everything, a year from now, it's going to be different because yeah. it's more research. Yeah. So that's where we really have to be careful about taking what is now as gospel. Right now is all we know. Mm. And we still need to be very, very careful about everything. So I'm, I'm, uh, the more I learn about what we don't know, the more scary it is that we could really stuff things up by mm. by jumping the gun too soon. Yeah, so okay. I think that's how I, I look at you it. Look at it. Yeah, well, that that's a fair reason to um, not. It's a fair reason. Yeah, um, uh, from a, at at the uh, final level, uh, if you look at it just like from the top view, it's like oh, we're why does why yeah. we, we can't have any fun, we can't have any wildlife. But once you look into it again. Not just at the physical, you're looking yep. at the, the sub level below the skin as well as, as a as a reason why um, uh, you shouldn't we shouldn't be allowing as much wildlife. Absolutely, there. but also um, you guys have the best wildlife reptile wild pretty much in the world, in my opinion. Anyway, mm. so look at what we get to keep here. Mm. Look at the variety and look at what the rest of the world wants. Yeah, it's so they all want our stuff. Yeah, it's yeah, a, right. every time I go back, every time I see a shingleback. Mm. I take a photo, send that back to my mates in the States. They are... Just losing it. Losing it. <laughs> and there'll be days where I see six, you know, and, and, or, and, you know, an emerald monitor or a lace monitor or the elapids here. Like yeah. the, the variety here and the, the quality that of the animals here and the diversity is, is to me, mm. well, it's the reason I moved here. Yeah. It's, um, I moved here. I moved here when I was working at a vet clinic mm. in upstate New York. Mm -hmm. I was at uni there finishing up um, my undergraduate degree. And I was working there. I was living at the clinic for part of it. We had an ice storm. An that ice, ice storm? An ice storm. Right, right. you've never seen one of those. <laughs> an ice storm is when perfect temperature, usually about zero degrees, yeah. where it's raining, but as soon as that rain hits, it turns to ice. Right. So basically every tree, every power pole, everything is coated in inch inches, multiple centimeters worth of ice. Mm. Everything collapses. So we, we had no power. We couldn't get out of the house because the house was frozen shut, literally with ice. Wow. National Guard came. Um, this was in 1994, I think, 96. Mm. And we ended up um, stuck. And a lot of people, upstate New York, freezing temperatures, were keeping reptiles or other native wildlife from Australia. You can keep sugar gliders and all sorts of stuff there. Absolutely. Right. And people were coming in with these sick animals because they had no heat and they couldn't keep them. And it was that moment in time 
that was when I decided to do an exchange program and do study abroad. Yeah, I, I deal with all this. Yeah, yeah. Came because I, I didn't. I didn't know. I yeah. didn't know. You um, couldn't. Yeah, very much at all. So then I, um, I came here. I came to Australia, and that was in '99. Mm-hmm. Um, '99. Yep, and yeah, yeah. that was a. So it must must have been. The ice storm must have been '98 then. Sorry, because it was the year after that. Right. Anyway, '99 came here. Did six months, um, did a bunch of veterinary courses while I was here because uh, I knew I was going to go into vet school. And that ended up resulting in me going, you know what, I think I'm going to come back and do vet school here. So I ended up going home, finishing my degree, and then um, applying for a student visa, which was not that easy to get. It was a bit of a process. Um, and then I ended up um, basically in 2000, moved here permanently. Right. Um, so I've been here permanently since then. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, that that was kind of my the exposure to the to the native animals here is what encouraged me to, to come move over to Australia. here yeah. uh, because people were keeping a lot of native Australian animals, whether it be blue tongues, even though they were kind of Indonesian blue tongues, um, bearded dragons are now the most popular reptile pet in the world. Yep, just saw yeah, that. There's, there's absolutely millions of them in in the U.S. and wow. in Europe and um, Asia. So those are those are animals that we are from the country that we live in now mm. um, that we can walk outside and drive a couple hours, see them, what they're doing in the yeah. wild. And that's the information we can pass on to the rest of the world on how to actually, you know, manage these guys based on their ecology here. So that, that to me was very exciting that, that I can actually witness my patients in the wild and actually learn about what they do. I mean, I had a yeah, blue tongue skin came in two days ago. Um, it was attacked by a, uh, cat or a dog mm. or something. It does happen quite mm. often. Mm-hmm. Um, it was too damaged. We ended up euthanizing. I looked in, I always look inside to see what they've been eating. Mm. <laughs> this blue tongue had, had a belly full of green coffee beans. It had been eating a, a, a wild kind of um, uh, coffee plant. Um, so you have a lot of that here. Yeah. And um, its stomach was full of them and, right. and also full of palm seeds. Not a single insect. Definitely no dog food, no, you know, some of the stuff that gets fed readily. Yeah. Not that I'm saying feed coffee beans. Right. I'm saying that, that we don't know. They're quite capable. These, these are, they're, they're very opportunistic. They'll eat whatever's out there. Yeah. And so um, variety is going to be really important. Plant matter is really important. And so I think that, but there's not a lot of studies on that out there. So as vets, we have an opportunity to actually... Uh, learn about these and pass that information along. Mm. Again, not advocating feeding coffee beans, advocating um, looking at what these animals eat in the wild and trying to recreate a diet. Um, so yeah, so I kind of we, we we're you know kind of diverging into a few different things here. Yes, but I think that uh, um, that's how kind of how my day goes. Is yeah, <laughs> it, yeah, is is getting fellas in and looking at it. Okay, that was your introduction to the Australian wildlife. Yes, and that's that's main reason why you've moved over. Yep. Now. Um, you're in Australia. Um, you're now. When did you? Uh, with with the unusual pet vets, uh, what's a bit of the history on uh, how you came about um, being the the man that runs this? Okay. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think when I was running the herp vet one, it was getting me exposure to the the wider community of uh, exotic pet ownership, uh, whether that be. Um, reptiles which was my my primary focus mm-hmm. um but also uh avian and um small mammal uh amphibians fish um basically once you start seeing some 
exotic animals, which really, again, they're not really exotic animals when you're talking about reptiles here. Um, although I'm now fortunate enough to see a fair few due to zoo work and things like that. Um, I think that we are, there's not many of us out there who want to deal with, with these species because we are not taught about them at university a lot, right. which means that you do have to spend a lot of time on your own going to Personal conferences, research. reading, uh, and then the experience comes when you start doing. I think that was something that um, when I was doing that side of it, I started to see more and more, and, um, and we were able to, I guess, build our understanding of that group of patients. So once I did that, um, that basically made me, um, you know, we started to know each other because it's a very small group of us out there. And uh, I was um, approached about, about opening up a, a practice in Brisbane. Um, and I was going to either do possibly a reptile only practice at that point, mm -hmm. or I was going to open an all exotics practice. And I really meshed well with um, James, uh, who is one of my uh, partners here, okay. um, and Hamish and Shane, who are partners of mine here as well. Mm -hmm. These are, are people who've been in the exotics world a long time as well. Uh, and they uh, were looking at um, moving into to Brisbane. And so I, I thought this was a good opportunity to, uh, to partner with like-minded people who, um, who were able to, I think, spread the workload Okay. It's really important. I think that I've got I've got things that I really love doing, and I'm, I love being a clinician, and I love doing research, and I love uh, managing a team. Uh, there's things I don't love doing. I, I don't love um, um, doing accounting, and I don't love doing uh, some of the other things that come with running a business. And having a group of people around you are um, you know people who are incredibly good at IT. I am not, um, and so to call on people and anybody who's watching this who does know me. Uh, we'll go, yeah, okay. My wife in particular will go, yep, good. At least you're not telling fibs. Uh, these are areas that are not my strong suits. And yeah. I think in any business, I business, research, um, geez, anything in life, surround yourself with people who are better than you yeah. in areas that, um, that you're not that great at. You'll become better at them. You might not mm. become as good as them, mm. but you will become better and you'll become a better at whatever you're doing um, right. in life. Yeah. So I try to surround myself with people, whether that be my vets, uh, sorry, well, yeah, the vets, the nurses, um, uh, the business partners, people around me who can add to yep. um, what I can offer and to, to who I am. Yeah. And I think that's what I've uh, been able to, to achieve here. Yeah. But when I say I achieve, then we've achieved this we, because yeah. we've got, we have gone from a clinic of, you know, six people to a clinic of 15 people mm -hmm. uh, in a short amount of time with a very varied, um, exciting workload with uh, what we hope to achieve work-life balance. Mm. Um, and, um, but also, uh, you know, come to the end of the day and, and be able to come together and say, look what we've been able to achieve today. Accomplish, yeah. And I think that I could not do without having business partners. Um, or I could do, it would probably take longer and probably, um, probably not do it as well. Yeah. Um, so I think that we found that nice happy balance of, of, um, uh, surrounding ourselves with, with people who we want to work with yeah. and develop, um, the exotic vet side, um, for the country, um, as best as we can. Yeah. And, uh, and that's been, been probably the highlight of my 
business and vet career yeah. probably so far. And you, you say for the for the country, um, there's uh, so you, you've got um, uh, a thought and a mindset of not just Brisbane, but you're um, uh, wanting to make an impact positively uh, nationally. Yeah. I think there's a there's a lot of incredibly good exotics practices out there. Like and and we all know each other, and I think that um, and they are doing excellent jobs uh, in their areas and and with their patients and with the clients. I think one of the differences I've seen is that when we've got this many people involved, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's what two clinics in Western Australia, two clinics in um, Victoria, Canberra, we've got Adelaide just opened up. Um, we've got a Sunshine Coast clinic here. Mm -hmm. um, that's under the unusual pet that's vet all name. Yeah, unusual pet vet name. Um, so it's and that what that means, and we all collaborate. We we talk about cases and we discuss, and that comes back to this research side or this this the the slowness of progression comes from you're very busy. You can only do so much. Yeah. But when you're surrounded by people who are not just in your industry, but actually you work with you can actually do uh, a lot because you're not relying on just your experiences now or mm -hmm. the guys, uh, the other guys down the road. You actually have a network of people. Yeah, national, yeah. That, you know, we're seeing different things in different areas. And that that has allowed us, that's why I say I don't think we could be doing as good as we, we've done, you've done yet. without the other ones because the times where I was like, I've never seen that before, still on a daily basis probably, and I see a lot. Mm. Um, and I can call um, a colleague, or we put a message out on our on our message boards, and we go, "What has anybody else seen with this? And what have they done? And what has worked? What hasn't worked?" Mm. By just those few questions, you can actually do a better job for your patient. Yeah, very quickly. And you get you can fast pace the process. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, yeah, you look in a book. Majority of those books, again, written within ten years, mm. guarantee you one hundred percent. There's been changes and improvements or things we've learned that are no longer accurate. So I think that's that's something that I feel I'm, I'm blessed with because I'm surrounded the, by people the, that the I The network can, and community of absolutely. events such yeah, as yourself. Yeah. And, and that, you know, we're, I'm heading down to Sydney um, Next Sunday yeah, yeah. Um, to to the Unusual Pet, vet, uh, pet and Avian Vet Conference. Mm. Uh, that's an every year thing. And that is something that we get to all then see, not only the people from our group, we get mm. to see the people from all, all around the country come together and we all talk about things and they present and we, we discuss things that maybe are not on our radar. And I think that's the community that we, we've kind of set up. And yeah. I think that's, that's been fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with, um, it sounds, it sounds like it's, it's cool. It's cool to hear a bit more of, uh, what, what happens behind. Cause when, when you come up to, um, and I, after this, I just want, I would like to maybe learn a bit more about the process of, um, uh, how you are able to run this successfully and what you've learned that have allowed you to be better for you and also make the experience a lot better for your uh, clients. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but with, uh, actually, no, we'll just go straight to that. Um, mm -hmm. With like, when I first came to this clinic, um, I, I met you, I think two, three years ago, I think was the first time yeah. I've heard of you. You're a well-respected name uh, along amongst the snake catchers and Silly amongst people. the wildlife yeah. world, <laughs> the world. And um, I, I, when you were at Herb Vet, um, mm -hmm. that's where I first met you. And then I heard that you came here. And so I started bringing you snakes here. But when I first came, um, uh, one of your uh, um, workers, your uh, uh, yeah. surge, so what do you call these one guys? One of the team. One yep. of the team. You're one of the yep. team. One of the team. Um, 
uh, a client had come in um, and there was a, a lot of emotion. There was a, an emotional um, uh, increase, I guess, of how your your team uh, interacted with the client. Mm. It's not just, oh, you've you've got an animal. That's not good. Okay, um, that's let's we'll, we'll do our best to f- help you out. It's not that monotone. It's very, oh, ha- uh, this is not good. Yeah. Um, uh, how, how can we help you? Like uh, that's it's. It's, I, I can see where it's heading. I, I think that the the first thing is you can't you can't fake it. Mm. You know, we care about every animal that comes through the clinic. Yeah, there's things that are more urgent sometimes. Things are less urgent. When somebody brings their pet here or wildlife, and they're worried, they're worried. And whether or not it's um, the right amount of worry, that's our job to figure out. So I think that when you come through, the first thing is to be assured that. We care. Yeah, we do. Uh, we're going to try to figure out as quickly as possible what we need to do, so that we can put your mind at ease that this is what we have to do. Now, sometimes the outcomes are not good; mm. they're incredibly sad. Yeah. Sometimes the outcomes are unexpected, um, unexpectedly good, and they're incredibly happy. Sometimes confusing times because you go, "I wasn't expecting yeah. that to happen." <laughs> yeah. But. The majority of things we've seen a lot of, and so we have a good idea of what to expect and how to you know, let a, a client know that their pet is going to be okay um, or what to expect uh, for now and, in, and into the future. And I think, um, but again, I see something new every day and every disease was going to modify or be slightly different, even if it's the same disease. Mm. Um, it's going to respond differently. You have to be time. very capable of, of of changing your approach to things. Absolutely, so that's, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah, and I think we with exotic species and exotics under quote that could be you know a, a carpet python, it could be um, a, a rat, it could be a, a collectus parrot. It doesn't doesn't really matter. Mm. All the species we see are really good at hiding disease. Mm. Uh, they hide it differently. And so by the time we see a patient here, unless it's for like a routine health check screen yearly type thing, the majority of things we see have come in and they're sick or more sick than, than even the owners Realize. think. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's the hard one because at home, they're very good at, at portraying that they're, they're well and healthy until they can't anymore. Right, and that's when the owners realize. Yes, yeah. and that's not their fault. That's, that is how yeah. good. I mean, it's a, we, we're okay. fortunate enough that we know by the time they come in, they're sick. When we have, you know, our pets at home can do the same thing. So unless you're picking them up and checking them to see certain things, mm. like birds are probably the, one of the toughest, you know, they, you know, they're covered in feathers, right? Mm. So you can't see underneath those. And... You might feel that they've lost weight or you might see something or you might see, but if they eat 10% less a day, they're going to lose weight because their metabolism is super fast. And mm. so they're going to burn through that. Yeah. You're not going to figure that out until they've lost a significant amount of weight, Yeah, but they're still eating every day and they're you know, toileting every day. And they're, so they're interacting, but maybe they're quieter for a half hour during the day to conserve a bit of energy. You're not expected to be able to pick that up. No. So, Keeping in mind when they come here, we're, we already know that some of them are going to be a lot more sick. And right. we, we, are, we often have to prepare people for the worst. Right. But at the same time, um, you know, we often stay very optimistic, yeah. but stay realistic. Uh, at the same what, time, trying to find do. that balance. And that is, that, that's a tough one. So, mm. you know, it's not all doom and gloom. We have, you know, we, we, 
I said, because we see so much of this of similar conditions, we, we get very good at managing those. Yeah. But with the the world we live in, in terms of the the different species we see, I mean, we see you know you you sit downstairs for a half hour, you're going to see you know 15 different species come mm. through the door. Crazy. Um, and that is, and every one of them probably has something different going on. So we need to we need to um be well aware that there's things that we're from the beginning we're not going to know as much as other conditions but again coming back to surrounding yourself with a bunch of people um that are better than you yeah. or have seen different things than you um then um i think that's probably a better term probably they've seen more than you in certain areas mm -hmm. because you start to see clusters of disease in different areas and certain vets will see the same thing all the time where or because maybe they've seen it once they actually look for it more you know these are things that um if if you are living in an area down south you've probably never seen tick paralysis mm. right up here when we see um it could be a bird or um you know, a reptile outside you know they're not too affected but birds mm. in particular yeah you know we see signs of that that's on our radar um but as the ticks start moving further south due to warming and and transport and things like that other vets are going to start to see and they might not think of that right away but this is this is where we are we're constantly learning from what we've seen previously and who we've spoken to just to keep our minds open to there could be 15 things causing one clinical sign yeah you might do one test which is going to eliminate that maybe put it down to five or six the next test might bring it down to two or three but to get that next bit might be too invasive you might have to do surgery and biopsies but they're probably too sick for that so we end up with a situation where we are very actively constantly trying to figure out what's going on and narrowing down smaller and smaller sometimes it's super easy yeah the first test goes that's your that's answer. the one yeah those are the good we times. love those yeah. because <laughs> because we can very quickly fix them at that point or at least let people know what's going on but when you are seeing something where there's still so many things that can cause that and you don't have an answer yet you're supporting them through it to the point where hopefully they're going to show you something else that is going to narrow you down even further and that's um you know that's the it's a very interesting part of the job but it's also one that it's uh um it takes time yeah to learn um and so so yeah with the interaction uh, it was more so um it was very i hadn't i've not experienced a lot of vet and mm -hmm. that that um how people uh feel towards their pets like i mean I, I the pets i have i like my pets i love my pets um uh but i when i i've only in vets and uh, going to um the places where pets are sick and animals mm -hmm. are sick that i've seen that other people care so deeply about their animals which i've i'd never really experienced and mm -hmm. it was very it was like oh, okay damn this yeah. is crazy so um you've you've obviously you know you this is the life you live so you mm -hmm. have, you're very comfortable and you know about that but with um what what else uh are there any other um le learning curves that you've really that really either shocked you or maybe oh. um or really created more of a foundation of from uh to be able to better do your job very good question i i think i've i've got a i was fortunate to have again been in this for a very long time um and um to be very open to every not everybody feels the same way i feel about every animal 
Um, not everybody feels the same way about their pets. You know, they they brought up differently, or you know, they might have a a, a different. Um, uh, and I, I want to stress that that the ability to um, to love your pet in different ways. Um, the ultimate goal: if somebody comes in, by the time they've walked through the door here, they're prepared to hopefully hear advice. Um, they've already they're they're committing to a consultation, mm. which is they're paying for. So they they want to do something for their pet yep. and everybody has their different abilities at that point. So in terms of uh, some people will be very pragmatic uh, and take that approach of if we can't fix it or we don't think we can fix it, we don't want to go too far. Yeah, I, I understand that mm -hmm. uh, because, and the fact is we can't give guarantees, mm. but um, we can give options and I will always <laughs> And I think that's important. I think that I and we will always give options. It's important for, as a vet that we always give uh, so that people know what we can do. Doesn't mean we have to do all those things every time. But if I don't tell you, and you said, you know, you might not have that bond with certain animals. Mm. Um, but if I don't tell you that with that animal um, and or pet, that you can have an MRI done because it's got neurological signs and that is the best test to investigate for that. And we're not talking about cost, we're saying if that is what is the best test and we get you know, down the line and we still don't know what's going on mm. and then I, we've done all these other tests to find out and uh, I say, oh, well, we could do an MRI as my third or fourth sure. option and we didn't find that out early on mm then I've not done the best service to my patient yeah. or potentially to you because now you go, oh, well, we've already done all this. Yeah. We've spent a fair bit. We, mm. I get it. Um, yeah. And we have, we still don't have all the answers and we're not getting better. Now I'm talking about another test, which is- More money, may, more time. Or may have given us our answer at the beginning. Yeah. Um, but I don't expect people to say yes every time I say, let's do a CT or an MRI because they are expensive tests. Mm. They are- um, they are tests that still will lead to possibly further tests down the road. But I think it's important that when we're talking about emotion, then it uh, emotion mixed with financial, mixed with, um, you know, sometimes and there's often kids involved who, who are, family, are dealing yeah. with, with sickness and death for the first time. Mm -hmm. those, are, those are things that what happens behind the, the closed door inside the console room can be incredibly emotional for... The staff as well. Yeah, we're, we're we're trying to deal with, trying to deal with all of that, and still try to treat the patient. But I always tell, don't do not go into vet medicine if uh, as a, as a clinician, if you do not like working with people. Mm. You have to like working with people because they're going to be making the decisions. You're helping them make the decisions, and then in the end, if um, uh, you're collaborating with them to try to get the best outcome, mm. and even if they can't do. All the things that you need to do, you still can. There's Plan B and C and D, and they will often work. But we can't give as much confidence in that sometimes if we haven't done Plan A. But you know, it all varies. So I, I think that the the we we have to try to stay a little bit separate from it mm -hmm. so we can give our advice. Yeah. But then so we have to look at what the whole situation, personally. holistic medicine. Yeah. But I'm not talking about holistic medicine in that, in that sense of it. I'm talking about it in, we're talking about the patient. Yeah. We're talking about the what's entire process. process, their home, you know, 
what what are the limitations that we're, we're working with and that's fine that's our job that's yeah. our job and and i think we are um that's something you get better at as you as you go along yeah. um but yeah i'll 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 leave it at that because it's a it, every situation is different it's very different we just have to a lot work, of variables work with what we a lot got. of variables yep. um has uh, with, with being uh, emotionally aware and mm-hmm. um those sensitive situations mm-hmm. um uh, is there any situations that you're able to um, uh, that you're able to talk about as as an example of what um, what can happen uh, in in a uh, at an extreme situation? Oh, listen. I mean, I think that there's the the there can be there can be anger for sure, um, especially if. Uh, emotion is really powerful, and I think that if somebody doesn't understand what's going on because already very emotional about something that they they have very little control over, mm. um, uh, or there's and, there's and there's guilt, you know, there's guilt of did I wait too long? Um, if if I could spend more, would I do that? I tell people take that out of it. Mm. First, we look at what do we need to do, and we try to figure out how to do it within yeah, what good. we can do. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes. There, you know, people can be very, very upset even before they step through the door. Um, they, we don't know what's going on in their life either. They Personally, could have, yeah. They could have sick family members. I've, I've I mean, I, I can tell you stories. Mm. Um, I have certainly, I can tell you one from my cat and dog days, way yeah. back when, where I remember um, a gentleman coming in with his cat that needed needed a dental procedure. It did. It needed one. I mean, it wasn't horrible. It could have waited a while. He came in. I said, oh, I, I always start with, you know, how are you going? You know, um, how's your day been? Because we're connecting relationally yeah, first. Well, yeah. you, you want to find out because, you know, you could be walking into, if, if you've had a bad day, um, I, I'm okay to know about it. I, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll see what we can do to make it better. Yeah. Uh, my wife died this morning, is what he said. He said, excuse me? He said, "Yeah, she she passed away this morning. Um, it was it was a bit unexpected." Um, I said, "I said, why are you here?" He goes, "She would want me to do this." I said, "Okay." I said, "You know, we don't have to do this today." She goes, "No, no, this is what she would want me to do. Yeah. She'd want, you know, Kitty to have have the dental procedure today yeah. because we planned this and we had we had organized to do it, and she she really wanted it done." I said. Okay, well, we can do that. No pressure, right? You know, we're doing anesthetics. We're doing this. Um, I, I said, I said, I gave him all the options. You know, we can. No, we were adamant. We'll do it today. Did it. Everything went fine. No problem. But emotional, emotionally, that was a tough day for me. Yeah. I was like, you know, I, I, one, I don't want anything to happen mm. ever. Mm. But on a day where he's already had a, a pretty. Extreme. I'll call that a pretty crappy day. Yeah. Um, you know, um, but I remember it vividly. Um, I, and I remember, yeah, I've, I've, you, you just came before and you saw um, that little bearded dragon mm. leaving. These yeah, very emotionally, my, yeah, connected very, to that. Very much so. Um, I've dealt with their, their pets for a while now. Mm. Um, she's going for surgery today. Right. Mm. And her dragon's sick. And she, um, she does not mind me talking about these things. Um, mm. we're, we're very open about it. Um, and her last dragon was very sick and we worked on for a while. Uh, this dragon is her emotional support pet. It's it prescribed. It mm. is, is actually, um, she, it goes to all of her, um, uh, she's got a, um, written letter to allow her to bring it to her, 
appointments, appointments and things like that. Right. So that one went through a massive, uh, you know, emotionally. Mm. That was a very important pet to her on many levels. Yeah. And it, and we spent a long time talking about when this pet was going to pass because it was going to. We knew mm. it was going to. Uh, we said, and I said, when the quality of life is bad, we're going to have to make that decision. And we did. Um, and I think uh, we did at the right time and it avoided her, um, you know, becoming more unwell because of that. Mm -hmm. So I think these are things that are, um, these are things that are eye-opening for me. They're learning for me. I've had plenty of owners who have had emotional support, reptiles, snakes, and, and lizards and things like that. You're right, I didn't know um, that was possible. Absolutely. Um, snakes in particular, I think, are really good. Um, uh, they're great pets for people who are really struggling because they're a pet where, okay, well, you don't have to take them for a walk twice a day. You don't have to feed them every day. Mm -hmm. You, If you can't get out of bed for two, three days because you, you emotionally can't handle yeah, really it. Struggling. Yeah, really struggling. Okay, well, they're not going to be any worse off mm. during that period. Yeah. Um, and so you don't have the pressure of that, but you also have the bonus of when you do work with them um the one they're lovely animals 99 out of 100 times and um and um people have told me that the having a snake that um um the pressure of having a snake wrapped around their arm or having feel there gives them uh, a sense of comfort yeah. and support Security, um, yeah. again do i understand that i i love working with them yeah. but i don't need that no that my, not that in no, individual but, level but yeah. to hear that and to hear how important especially on when it comes to reptiles um, these are to people and how it helps them in everyday life. That just adds a whole new level to well, what yeah. we do, keeping these patients healthy. Yeah. Um, so I, if somebody's having a bad day and they're yelling at me or I've, I mean, I've had physical encounters, um, not at this clinic, yeah, um, uh, but I've, you know, physically where, where people are, are that worked up, I think that something else is going on in their life. Mm. Um, it didn't just happen because of this. Yeah. Things build up to that, and I, and I try to just bring it down a notch and say, let's oh, let's focus on, you know, fluffy, uh, yeah, and we'll 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 figure out what's um figure out what's going on there, and um you know, and does that always work? No, but but for the most part, it's, it you can you can read a situation and say this this could get bad. Mm. We need to take this down and take this down a notch. Yeah. Oh, right on. Um. Yeah, I was wondering if if it had gotten physical in any situation, which is which is, I mean, at least to a some extent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's uh, it. Yep. Seems to like a co rather complex. It, uh, it can be. Um, and situa um, there's some, been some books written by um, some colleagues of mine that um, are you hear about some of their encounters and experiences mm -hmm. um, often in the, in the states uh, where you just go like that's next level. Like right. you know where people have you know, have had serious altercations and, and that usually comes down to emotion or finance or something that is, is really triggering to somebody. Yeah, right. um, so, yeah. Damn. Um, well, the, the Josh that is able to handle these situations <laughs> now, um, and, and, uh, read the room, uh, what has been, um, I know that uh, you first in, you want to be a vet since you were five. Mm -hmm. um, first introduction to uh, you got a, your iguana when you were twelve. Yep. Um, did uh, try doing a surgery thing when you were fourteen. You were kind of working uh, mm -hmm. when you were twelve, thirteen. Mm -hmm. um, what is kind of uh, a fast pace, uh, a fast track of that that decade from? Uh, what, so how old uh, I should I ask? How old were you when you moved over in nineteen ninety nine? Would you have been was oh, that geez. early 20, 21? 
I was turned 21 here, yeah. Right on, right yeah. on. Um, so uh, from that, those, that um, decade from 10 to 2021, 20, mm-hmm. um, what, what was that, uh, what, what, was, what was the wildlife experiences? What was your, um, your parents sounded very supportive. I think, I think. Um, yeah. uh, not, they're not supportive. the animal people that, no. that I was. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're I, supportive of what you oh, always, were aiming yeah, for. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, always. How do you, how, how has that helped you personally in this Well, journey? I had all these pets and then I had to go to uni. So who got to look after them? My mom and not so much my dad. My dad, um, my mom did take a lot of that on. Uh, my dad um, really didn't like snakes. I remember having a, a, a yellow rat snake that escaped out of his enclosure no. for 18 months, I think. And really? then one day he found it underneath the kitchen sink wrapped around the hot water pipe. Wow. Uh, and um, he reminds me of that still. Um, and he was not thrilled with me with that one. Uh, my mom looked after the iguana, uh, Lester, my bearded dragon, Cujo, bandit, my basilisk, um, and Floyd my rat snake. So she looked after all these when, when I went away to uni to do my undergrad so that I could become a, a vet. What a mom. Because in the States you have to do your undergrad before you become a, a vet. Okay. Um, and so th- that's the, the long, longer track there. I, if I had moved here earlier, I probably could have started vet school earlier, but I'm actually really glad I did it the way I did. Okay. I worked all through junior high school, which is grade seven through nine, and then grade 10 through 12, and then uni all the way through, I, I worked in a vet clinic or as a capacity as a veterinary nurse. Wow. Um, Cause this was all I was gonna do. Yeah. I, I threw a couple of little things in there. I worked up in Maine um, as an assistant chef. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. How I got that job. But unbeknownst, uh, unknown. <laughs> I just told them, oh yeah, sure I could do this. And I just learned a lot as I went. That was, that was hectic. Yeah, right. Um, you good cook now? I can cook a little, a little bit, bit, but yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, uh, but. But that was that was again eye opening. Cooking for hundred people three times a day was was uh, wow. And then my boss, the head chef, he had to go away for a week uh, at the beginning, and I was like, oh crap! <laughs> what, uh, a, so anyway. what a deep end swim. Yeah, but but I put that back down to my my family, my parents as well. Yeah, um, always supported that I could do yeah, it. You could do it. Yeah. And then um, listen, I'm, I I always say my my dad taught me how to how to swim by throwing me in the ocean so I could swim back. Yeah. Um, it, it was that and, and probably, and a bit more. Yeah, metaphorically, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, but the fact was, you know, training wheels on bikes, I mean, no, you know, we're just gonna, we're gonna, you're gonna ride. Yeah. Um, but gives you the confidence on those little things in life to go, like, okay, if you do try or you prepare, you'll probably succeed. Mm. Um, and um, listen, and that, that obviously doesn't always work, but you also have to be uh, aware that if you fail, it, there really is no failing. It's it's learning for the next time. Yeah. Uh, and in vet world, um, you know, if you thought that every time a patient didn't do what you expected or didn't do well, that you had failed, mm. you're that's going to be a struggle. That's daily. So, but when you oh, it will be. It'll yeah. be daily. And so you have to look at it as the next time uh, you did it, you would do it differently because of this. Uh, and if you are really critical and honest with yourself, you'll you'll get better faster. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying I can do that every single time, but I can say that I, if I am struggling with something that I was, you know, failed at, um, that I can usually find something good out of it. Mm. And with um, that's, I mean, you sound you're sounding more and more like the guy that you should be, which you are <laughs> uh, from from this. Um, did you have any um, uh, friends that you like 
had when you were younger up till now that were also that vet that had that wildlife inclination if not in veterinary like yeah. in a different field um yeah i think i was surrounded by people who and friends who who kind of i didn't know what they wanted to do but but were always motivated to learn and to do things so that was fortunate yeah um some of them I reconnected with recently um some are in research fields some of them are teachers, some of them are um, in finance, some of the, but um, one of them who was in finance is now an artist. Um, yeah. You know, people who are following what they want to do, not, yeah. not being limited to what they've done already. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's always nice to see. Um, it's really nice seeing people that you've, you've grew up with you know, succeeding, um, but also seeing them um, follow, follow their, you know, what they want to do what their passions are, yeah. despite yeah they might have done 20 years already of one career going, well, you know what that's not what i want to do anymore that's, that's like as old as i am like, that's, that's pretty that's, that's pretty cool um where i took the trajectory of of this is what i want to do yeah. uh and but what i want to do while being a vet now has changed significantly over the years um, okay. i'm much more i mean i love doing clinical work um i love running a practice but i also um love traveling um and um you know experiencing um you know different species and things like that so you know yeah i guess maybe what has been the metamorphosis of where you are now in Mm. in the the process that's been changing when you started out as then what you thought it was what is what 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 is some of that change that you've um, Um, that you've experienced i think being a vet has always been it's the same thing it's how can you help as many animals as you can Mm -hmm. Um, and I've found now that I can, through other things like research and things, maybe that will help more because that will disseminate to more people, not just the person in my consult no, room. Yeah, just the and I think room. that's, that's kind of where I've changed to where it's like this, the things I see every day are helpful to the clients and patients I see every day and maybe other vets maybe. Um, but also I think we're going to find that, that if we can also say oh well that's really interesting and i've seen oh i've seen a dozen of those and this is how i treated them and they worked well um i got asked the other day to write a paper on treating kidney disease in in bearded dragons because mm-hmm. the majority of vets from what i've seen um what heard of were were not treating because the prognosis is pretty poor right and we've have some techniques and treatment protocols now that we've developed little by little over the last kind of you know 10 years that are working really well in many cases. Yeah, right. So, but I can't call every vet and tell them that. So all you can do is, you know, talk to people, what are they doing, alter your plans, or you can publish it. Right. And if you publish it- Then people can choose to read it. Everybody can read it. Yeah. You search kidney disease, I mean, who doesn't Google these days? Yeah, I definitely don't usually Google kidney diseases and be a dragons, but I definitely Google. My clients do. <laughs> oh, they'll come in and they'll go, oh, I've read this about Google or, you know, chat gtp and i've read yeah no joke that that is that's changing the way we do medicine because clients know a lot now Mm. which is great they're educated yeah and they come in knowing and so we we definitely have to know yeah what we do what we have is not always every single fact out there but we understand the animal as a whole a lot a lot more because Mm. we deal with them all the time and so if they bring information to me and i love when clients bring me stuff that i haven't read yet because it happens regularly. They'll send me a paper. Oh, have you read this one yet? I'm like, it's, it's on my list, but no, I haven't gotten to it yet. Um, because the fact is I might not, you cannot read everything. Mm. Um, 
and uh, you can't write everything. So you do need to um, pick and choose and um, there's good research and there's bad research and um, I'll have clients send me papers on my email. I'm like, this, this is not good research. This is, this is, you know, it's just one case with, which has one, one outcome, experience, which is fine, yeah. but it doesn't mean that's how we should treat yeah. it because there's a hundred other cases that were Could not. Could be the yeah, one that, yeah, exactly. Out of the so I think that we are very, um, uh, I like working collaboration wise with the clients because they, they, on their one pet, they have the energy and the resources to go and look things up mm. and they might bring them to my attention yeah. and that's okay. Good way to look at it, yeah. It's, 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 or you could be intimidated by the fact that they come in armed and ready. Yeah, that would, be, that would be a bit, I mean, I, I, at first I think that would be a bit fronting because, I mean, yeah. uh, with it's, snake catching, yeah. I, I, like they don't, the clients, they, I guess the difference is that your clients actually kind of know what they're talking about, whereas the clients, they don't mm. always really know what they're talking about. They're, oh, it's a, it's a brown snake and it's just a keelback mm. or a carpet python. I hear that. I mean, I'm sure you've heard that too. Mm -hmm. um, I've so, had them dropped on the front counter <clears throat> telling me that it's one thing or another and you mm. open it up and it's an Eastern brown and you just go, <laughs> so we, we've got protocols in place to avoid that. Uh, but yeah, that's, a, that's dangerous. Uh, yeah. That's life-threatening. It and is. So, yeah, Google is very dangerous mm. um, in, because a little information can be very dangerous. Yeah. But if used appropriately. Yeah, the um, implementation of it, yeah. Yeah, we can, do, we can do quite good things with it. And this day, you know, the amount of information available to people is immense. Yeah, un um, unexpected, I mean, after the, a decade ago. And then ago, now yeah. with artificial intelligence coming in, um, in, in the vet world mm. uh, and in the human world, it's, you know, you, you, can, you can put an x-ray in in the human world and you can it can actually diagnose what's going on into uh, um, yeah, right. oh yeah so if you're if you're remote and you've sent that in there's there are pr programs and algorithms now to to actually read x-rays um and it's getting close to where a lot of conditions so you know but um we're so far away from that in the vet world because yeah. the, the resources to do that are are much more limited yeah yeah well i guess um if that's uh, an interesting topic to, to touch on um maybe a little more with um the with the veterinary world and artificial intelligence mm -hmm. i mean that is a big thing uh, mm -hmm. well at least it's it was it had its surge early this year um mm -hmm. it uh, to me i would think that uh, veterinary uh, as a vet and this world uh isn't under threat uh if anything it would be a benefit because you can't uh, artificial intelligence can't fix an animal um, mm. but how um what changes uh are you seeing and what changes do you are you expecting to see i think diagnostics are probably the big one um we have a machine downstairs which you put a slide in and it will scan the slide and um it can upload and and do cell counts and things like that um or you put you know fecal sample in there and that can actually um actually diagnose the type of parasite in there that's full ai um, so we have those capabilities already, mm. um, and that's, it's limited to certain things, but certainly going to see more and more of that. Um, I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I just think we have to, have to you just, you're always going to need a human component to it. Um, if you tell ChatGTP to go and write an article on, uh, carpet python, um, husbandry, mm. All that can do at the moment is take all the information out there that's mm, out there, mm. but what if, and is it'll find the best stuff and put it all together and in a very nicely written way. Yes. <laughs> but what it can't do is tell you, is that information right in the first place? Yeah. So you need somebody who knows what they're talking about to actually review that article to yeah. go, yeah, that's not right. That's not, 
that that is right mm -hmm. and i think that's the danger of it right now okay but the exponential growth of it right now which is you it's know it's unknown it's, it is uh, it's you know by next year it's going to be much better within three months after that it'll be better it's mm -hmm. we we are on that trajectory yeah um seen some great podcasts about that out there so yeah yeah um I, I'd, I'm not worried by it. I'm, I'm excited by how we can what use can it happen, too, right. especially in research, because analyzing data is, that's not my <laughs> big forte. Thing. I'm, that's big, not a me. Yeah. That me is a, I like to come up with ideas and plans and do and select and write, but I am not a statistician. I am not a, I'm not a researcher. Mm. I'm a clinician who does research. And I think that's, right. that's a big, There's a big difference. It is a big difference. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm fortunate enough to be doing what I love doing, yeah. and if I get, you know, a bit itchy about doing um, something else, um, I just figure out how to make that happen within the confines of the way my life is set up at the moment. Mm. And a uh, very understanding partner, uh, and it's um, always helpful. Yeah, it is, uh, and and she um, she understands the the business. Um, she um, um, is really good at things that I'm not good at. Yes, um, yeah. which is which is also very helpful. Yeah. Um, and so I think that um, you know, I said co collaboration, but um, and um, fortunate to to be able to do that um, in in many aspects of life. Yeah, yeah. Well, with this all this information, life experience that you've had, Josh, um, do you? Uh, question before but do you um have any plans or thoughts on ever writing a, a book i mean you you write papers and you're going down and speaking in front of um was also speaking in front of people like um how that what your first experience was speaking in front of people on a, on a stage we had did you hold yourself um, i'd like oh, to know that i can tell you stories i'd lo yeah. love to know um but yeah uh i have you thought about ever writing a book um yes but probably not in the sense of um, I think it would probably be a series of, of short events, um, not like the memoir type book that doesn't right. interest me at all. Yeah. I think, I, I think I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd rather be spending time doing research to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, maybe later on, uh, that might come about, yeah, got more but, time. um, yeah. And, and I think that I'm, I'm more inclined to, um, stick within the veterinary side of things at Field, the moment yeah. um Field, but i do yeah. think that we're we're uh seeing some colleagues who have written stuff and go oh listen i've i've got stories and i've got um experiences and um i certainly when i start talking especially things like this you mm. start my my head is reeling of things i mean I, I get excited by the stuff i've done um and and just because i feel very fortunate to have done mm. it and and now I was telling you before before we recorded that, you know, it's nice because I'm at a point where people contact me now to do things. Yeah. Uh, and and that means that, you know, I used to go looking for things, um, and but now people are coming I'm, to you now. And up and but I and I'm can be a little bit picky about what I do. Um, and I said I would do this because I think it's important. Um, as you said, you want somebody doing what they love doing. Um, how did I get here? It is certainly possible. Mm. And, um, and you know, it sounds like everything went really lovely my entire, there was certainly setbacks. Yeah. Um, you know, the times I was, they tried to kick me out of the country because I didn't have a visa and because, right. because I, I ran out of money for vet school. Right. Um, you know, like there were, there were some close calls where yeah. my dreams could have been direct. How did you solve that problem? Not easily. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's, it was, 
a lot of work on top of a lot of work. Right. Um, but I you just, you, know, you just really hustled and I wanted really to full. do it, so it was you know I was it was going to happen. I I never doubted that I'd be able to get it done. But mm. am I where I want to be when I want to be? Um, yes, because um, I could have started all this ten years earlier, and I could have now been doing exotics practice for exotics only practice for maybe 15 years now mm. or 20 years now. Uh, but those experiences I got earlier on allowed me to do this and, and hopefully make less mistakes doing it. Uh, so I think I don't, I don't look back. It's um, at all yep. except to go, Oh, that's really great. Like I, how I got involved in reptiles in Australia to me is I still look back and, and thank my lucky stars. I walked into a pet store right? Okay. and I said, I'm Josh, I'm a vet. If you ever need anything, help with the reptiles in the store, I'm happy to help. If you're um, ever wanting to do talks for your clients, um, you know, for your, your patrons there um, about husbandry stuff or you want me involved, happy to help. Um, and um, they say, oh, well, actually, my, my sons um, breed animals, uh, black-headed pythons, and uh, I'll introduce you to them. Yeah. I did, and, um, you know, and... These are, are uh, I went and, and I met them and they put a barbecue on for me. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I, love, I love Australia. <laughs> it's like, so good. <laughs> the fact is like, you know, people who I've, I've met once, but saw I was enthusiastic, um, supported me. Um, and, you know, Joy, if you watch this, thank you. Deb, if you watch this, thank you. Uh, um, you know, Troy, Denver, like these are people in my life who, who really helped to, um, open the doors by introducing me to people who knew people who, but also entrusted their animals to me mm. uh, when I hadn't early on had as much experience with Australian uh, natives because yeah. I came from the US. Yeah. Uh, and these guys allowed me to, um, to examine and do, and I learned a lot about keeping and breeding and, and other things there that, wow. are, that were well outside of my area of expertise mm. uh, because I wasn't keeping and now, um, at the time. So those are, those are the things that, that really, you know, people were willing to do that for me. So, um, it's why we do future vet kids camp. Okay. When I was 12, what, what is this? Future I is? had the option to, to go into a vet clinic and do some stuff. Yeah. Well, people don't get to do that these days. No. But future vet kids camp started by two vets. Um, they started this program to, allow kids who want to be vets to get into the vet clinic. So mm. every year they come in, we give them a tour, we talk about everything we go through. Um, we open up, you know, um, certainly, you know, if you start writing a resume, kids, you know, I don't care if you're 12 or 13, yeah. put your stuff down that you want to do and then, you know, and put it out there. You never know. Yeah. We hire we hire young uh, people to, you know, do um, kennel work and cleaning work just to just the so experience. they get, once you get into a clinic, you've got your foot in the door. Yeah. So that's awesome. Those are the sort of things like I was like, well, if I've got, I've had the opportunities. People have given them to me. I still go back home and visit and speak to these vets mm. um, or mentors that I've had, and and every one of those people. The thing that makes me remember them is the fact that they they took the time to to allow me to explore what I wanted to do and guided me through it. Yeah, and, and build so, you up and you help know, we you, see, yeah. have vet students that come through this clinic. You know, we're booked often up to 18 months, two years in advance with vet students really? who want to come through and spend a couple of weeks here just yep. getting the lay of the land. Um, so yeah, that's 
I, I think that's that's the only way to kind of make it make it happen. Right. And with this advent this advent this kids adventure camp. Oh yeah, future vet kids. Yep. Future vet vet future vet kids. Yep. Um do you help um facilitate that? Um obviously they, they come in here, but um are you uh just someone that they reached out to or you reached out to the, the body that created it? Yeah. They reached out to me um, because we're we're again a um, an exotics practice, an unusual pet vet. So I think they they we've got a, a pretty big social media presence, and I think they saw us and they reached out and said, "Would would you guys be willing to do that?" I'm yeah. like, "Yeah, sure, of course." I mean, like, no better time than that. And it's a you know it's a half a day out of my life to, and you know you you'll see you'll usually see two or three out of you know fifteen that are like really keen, and then you get some that are you know it's kind of keen, and then some like. Yeah, yeah, this doesn't interest me that much, yeah. but that's okay because yeah. finding out then versus finding out when you've done vet school that you don't want to do it. Yeah, I hear it's not cheap, vet school. Oh, God, no. <laughs> oh, no. Especially as an international full fee-paying student, which I was. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, I had to really want to do it. Um, I only just paid off my student loans. Right now, right. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. yeah, like took 25 years right so you're on the other side of that actually i don't think i've ever met someone who's actually been on the other side of their yeah. their their hex dead or whatever they call it yeah. um so that's great hey that's awesome 25 years um and active and you know and active um doing that and yeah it's been a that was that was a nice thing to to be done with yeah um, a weight off your shoulders for sure before we land the plane uh i've got the game overrated underrated you know the rules. Sounds fun. Uh, now, first one: overrated, underrated, hygiene. Oh, underrated! Mm-hmm. Um, probably the most important part of uh, running a hospital. Uh, you got to make sure everything is clean and tidy. Uh, yes. Make sure everything is um, washing your hands. Like I, I will have the cleanest hands on the planet. Uh, you handle anything. You're washing your hands afterwards. So yeah. Yes. Good man. Good underrated. Man. Uh, very important. <laughs> good. Good. Uh, that's good. Uh, question number two. Uh, the restrictions of chameleons in Australia? Um, I think it is well, underrated in that I think that it, restriction is good. I think we spoke about it early on. Yes. Um, yeah. I think that the, the simplistic view of that we should not restrict these animals is, is too simplistic. I think we don't know enough about what it can do to you've the larger what, environment. You've seen what chameleons have done to Florida. Mm. Um, you know, these are these are animals that we are in a perfect climate for chameleons to thrive. Yeah. Let us not let that happen okay. uh, out there. Too okay. much, That's too fair. much important stuff. Fair. Uh, overrated, underrated, different sized needles. Oh, underrated. Uh, I think that the two things with needles, always choose the smallest needle to accomplish the job. Okay. Okay. Uh, because... Uh, and always use a fresh needle every single time. Um, good tips. We're, we're talking about we're talking about medicine here. Yeah. Um, the reason is is that every time you put a needle into something, it blunts it. Mm. Um, and so if you put it into a bottle and drawn up drugs to give to a patient, and then you give the drugs, it's already been blunted. So mm-hmm. you switch the needle, put a new one on. It's yeah. going to hurt the patient less. So yeah. sharp needles hurt a lot less than dull needles. Yeah, that's a um, good point. So that's really important. And yeah, do use the smallest one to get the job done mm. uh, because again, it's gonna gonna hurt less. Yeah. Um, uh, the only difference comes from when you're collecting blood. The opposite, 
you want to use the largest needle you can comfortably use mm-hmm. um, um, within reason um, to um, reduce the you know the damage to the blood as the, you're collecting. The vessel, yeah. There's a there's a cutoff point on that, but you don't want to use a tiny little needle to yeah. collect. Um, the smallest needle to collect turtle blood. Turtles have really big red blood cells and that would potentially damage them going through the needle. So yeah, you want right. to kind of pick your stuff that way. You have to know your stuff, my man. Underrated. <laughs> uh, number four, being uh, emotionally sensitive to clients. You know the answer to this one, I think. Oh, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty much staying on the underrated train here. I think <laughs> we do have to be. Um, yes, it's not our problem. Um, you know, and, and I think that it's important that... Um, the public know um, that when we are taking on people's emotions, mm. um, those don't just disappear. Um, so we will have to kind of block ourselves off a bit, um, but we still have to be aware that that those emotions are real um, and to be aware of them. Yeah. Uh, so I'm. I'm. Uh, some people are better at it than others. Um, that separating the two things. Um, there are days where I come here out of here absolutely emotionally drained because I've taken on too much. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so other, there is there is a you can see when that is too oh, much. Oh, hundred percent. There are there are there are days where you're like, how am I going to do this tomorrow? Um, and you wake up and you do it tomorrow because because it does go away. Um, but um, but I think that the the things that are we are making decisions based on fact and science and medicine, but we we have to realize that the decisions that we're asking people to make to do are not always possible yeah. because of their emotional status or whatever is behind all that. So yes, very aware of it all the time. Yeah, okay, right on. Uh, and final question, overrated, underrated, making pumpkin heads for Halloween. Oh man, this year I missed out on it. I mean, why are pumpkins so expensive in Australia? Missed out on it, okay. As in, like, normally we make pumpkins. So you like it? Oh, yeah, I uh, like okay. it. Okay, it's rated. I'm, a, I'm American. <laughs> like, come on. I mean, I'm, I'm not anymore. I'm no, no you're a true blue Australian. I've dropped my – I no longer am an American citizen. Um, but I grew up with Halloween, <laughs> and it's really fun to do. Yeah. Um, and if you're good, you can make – pumpkin pie with it afterwards which people don't make here no Um, i don't think i've ever had a pumpkin pie and it's good um (laughs) and the fact is that it's it's a fun thing to do uh i get to break out my surgical tools uh (laughs) and you can do some pretty fun stuff we missed it this year but i also looked and it was like nine dollars 80 a kilo or something stupid for a pumpkin yeah right at home in the states you could probably you know buy the same thing for three dollars and here it'd be like 40 bucks man damn are we like not making pumpkins in australia or something? not the not the orange ones like you know the the, the proper yeah the pumpkin. proper ones yeah it's uh that's that's um i know this is a lot of question but come on guys like that is the most that's the most expensive pumpkin in the world yeah, yeah right yeah. it's not even a massive one yeah, yeah. okay well, i've never bought a pumpkin obviously just don't just no no they're uh, they're they're good it's good fun do it good for the kids yeah um yeah have a bit of fun with it and do yourself a favor, buy a special pumpkin carving knife. It'll change your life. It will change your life. Yeah. A pumpkin and, and, carving knife will change your life. And it will, and you'll not lose your fingers. So yeah. yeah. Okay. Right on. Well, that's cool. Thanks for answering those questions, Josh. <laughs> no worries. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Um, you've got stuff to get to. So thank you for your time. Uh, and um, tell me about your, your history and your story. Um, I can see how uh, the person who sits across from me is able to how you got there. That's crazy. Thank you very much. All right, my pleasure. 
Thanks for listening, and I hope you have enjoyed this episode. If you did, please leave a rating or a review on whatever platform you listened on and helps the podcast out, and in turn, it also helps me out too. Or if you would have any suggestions on guests or topics you think I should cover, reach out to me on my socials. I would love to hear from you. Otherwise, I look forward to seeing you in the next one.